Hi, everybody. Welcome to Producing the Beatles, the podcast dedicated to exploring the untold story behind producer George Martin's revolutionary collaboration with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I'm your host, Jason Krupa, and today's episode is part two of our brief overview of how George Martin and the Beatles used multi-track recording. In part one, we heard the Beatles go from two-track to four-track, where, with George Martin's guidance, they began to grasp the possibilities of overdubbing to add subtle nuances to their recordings and to perfect each addition to a new song. During the Revolver sessions in the spring of 1966, a little over two years after they started using four-track, their ideas were developing so quickly that they were already outgrowing four-track. This forced Martin to do reduction mixes, to mix from one four-track tape to another four-track tape to make room for more overdubs. Today, we'll examine this process more closely and we'll consider how the jump to eight-track recording the following year affected the band's relationship with their producer. And finally, we'll hear how the Beatles were still pushing the boundaries of multi-track recording even on their last album together. On this episode of Producing the Beatles. As we discussed in our last episode, 15 out of the 16 songs recorded during the Sgt. Pepper sessions required at least one tape reduction, and often more than one tape reduction, pushing four-track recording to its limit. For both George Martin and the Beatles, this created a number of technical and creative challenges. To demonstrate this process, let's break down one of the simpler recordings from Sgt. Pepper. First, they taped the rhythm backing live, with each instrument getting its own track. Track one is Paul on piano and George Harrison on tambourine. Track two is John on guitar. Track three is Ringo on drums. And track four is George Martin, just at the beginning on Hammond organ. This is take 10. To free up tracks, Martin did a reduction mix. He transferred all four tracks of this tape to a single track, track one, in mono, onto a new four track tape, numbered take 11. These reductions involved more than just running four tracks into one. Martin and the engineers had to pay attention to the mix and balance instruments so they were still audible. That's one of the hazards of reduction mixes and layering. You can eventually lose track of what's underneath all those overdubs. And just like on There's a Place, Martin was locked into this mixdown. Next, they overdubbed Ringo's lead vocal with backing vocals on the same track. What do I do when my love is away? Does it worry you to be alone? How do I feel by the end of the day? Are you sad because you're on your own? Then, vocal harmonies. Bye with a little help from my friends. Hi with a little help from my friends. Try with a little help from my friends. And finally, 
bass, tambourine, and a second lead guitar. And here's the final mix as it appeared on Sgt. Pepper. with the reduction mix, you'll notice that each of these overdubs still has two or more parts. This means either two or three or even four Beatles playing together on an overdub track. This would have taken some planning to optimize the tracks at their disposal. What would they overdub? Which of those overdubs could be recorded together? This process required a group effort, planning and playing together. With limited options and exploding ambitions, Martin and the Beatles had to work closely to achieve what they were all reaching for. The resulting recordings, from 1966 and 67, are at the core of how the Beatles and George Martin changed popular music, and they are not coincidentally the sound of producer and artist operating in perfect balance, each contributing equally to the process. and that process could get very complicated. During the session for the orchestral overdubs for A Day in the Life, Martin wanted to be able to record the 40-piece orchestra four times so that in mixing, he would have the effect of a 160-piece orchestra, just a massive sound. The problem was, he'd already done one reduction mix, and with further overdubs, the new four-track tape had just one track left. Without access to any more tracks, the best solution was to synchronize two four-track machines, a technology which simply did not exist at the time. At Martin's request, EMI technical engineer Ken Townsend, who had been a hero to Beatles recording sessions before, worked out a way, more or less, to lock two machines together for recording and mixing. I'll spare you the gory details, but although the process ended up being successful, it wasn't 100% reliable. There's a whole reel of aborted stereo mixes of A Day in the Life attesting to just how prone the machines were to going out of sync. Bottom line, Martin and the Beatles needed more tracks. In America, 8-track recording had been available as early as the late 1950s. The song you're hearing now, Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine, was recorded on 8-track at Atlantic Studios in February 1967, right around the time George Martin was overdubbing the orchestra onto A Day in the Life with two unreliably synced up 4-track machines. But it wouldn't be until 1968 that 8-track recording became available in Britain. And it wasn't until they were well into the White Album sessions at the end of July 1968 that the Beatles would finally record on 8-track themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Again, from George Martin's perspective, having eight tracks allowed for greater control in both recording and mixing. And from the Beatles' perspective, not having to worry about reduction mixes meant even greater freedom than four track. And that freedom came, coincidentally, as the balance of power shifted in the Beatles' relationship with their producer. By the time of the White Album, having absorbed all Martin had taught them, the Beatles were mostly producing themselves. And now on 8-track, with less need for reduction mixes and supervision, Martin didn't need to be so hands-on about the overdubbing process. So it's no surprise that in September 1968, three months into recording, Martin went on a three-week holiday to Italy. He left his assistant, Chris Thomas, in charge, but it was pretty clear the Beatles were going to do what they wanted. The first session with Thomas at the helm on September 9th was Helter Skelter, and the combination of Martin's absence and having eight whole tracks for recording coincided with a flood of spontaneous energy. With Ringo on drums, John on bass, and Paul and George on guitars, they tore through 18 takes. The next day, they put their five remaining tracks to use. They recorded two lead guitar parts, each on its own track. One of these features an extra snare overdub recorded at the same time. Using Paul's guide vocal as reference, they added backing vocals. Then, as Paul re-recorded his lead vocal, George Harrison set an ashtray on fire and held it over his head as he ran around the studio. I'm coming down fast, but I'm miles above you. Tell me, tell me, tell me, come on, tell me the answer. Well, you may be a lover, but you ain't no dancer. Just before the song's coda, there's this. Okay. And then John and Beatles roadie Mal Evans wailing away on saxophone and trumpet, respectively, for the long coda. It's tempting to attribute this madhouse atmosphere to George Martin's absence. The schoolmaster's gone, so the students turn the classroom upside down. But the Beatles were well in control by this point, and 8-track tape was just one factor that made Martin less integral to the recording process than he had been the previous year. Typically, as we've been hearing, 
The Beatles would often have as many as three or four parts on each track, but here, on 8-track, that kind of consolidation is unnecessary. Almost every part has its own track. With three and four parts on each track, Martin had to balance as they recorded, but with mostly one or two parts per track, every element could be balanced later in the final mix. And now that the Beatles' proficiency in the studio matched his own, this ability to balance later was just one more reason Martin could duck out for three weeks during the recording of the album. He would never have been able to do this during the Revolver or Sgt. Pepper sessions. Martin had also hoped, in the wake of Sgt. Pepper's triumph, that they could push their innovations even further and all collaborate on a more cohesive work. But three months into sessions, it was clear that this new album would be anything but cohesive. He was certainly still needed for the orchestral overdubs, but what if there were no orchestral overdubs? Then what? That's one of the questions that may have been hovering over the next sessions in January 1969. Even though they would still be recording on 8-track, the Beatles intended these sessions as straightforward live band recordings. No overdubs, no editing, no orchestras. They were in essence a complete rejection of the process Martin and the Beatles had been building over the past few years. Those sessions for the notorious Get Back project revealed deep tensions not just within the Beatles themselves, but also with Martin, who sensed that the Beatles wanted to use a different producer, but didn't know how to tell him. Martin and the Beatles would eventually find their equilibrium again, and when they did, they discovered their ambitions were alive and well. But by then, it had reached the point where even eight tracks weren't enough. The next sessions, when they were recording their final album, Abbey Road, the Beatles easily filled all eight tracks recording George's song, Something, as they kept adding and perfecting parts. This led to a mixdown to another eight-track tape to clear two tracks for one more overdub. Eight-track to eight-track, Something, take 37. That overdub was George Martin's orchestral score for the song. George Harrison had already taped his guitar solo, which had been kept on its own track in the reduction mix. As a final perfectionist touch, he re-recorded his solo, changing just a few nuances in his playing, erasing the previous version. Interestingly enough, when the Beatles split up in 1970 and recorded their first proper solo albums, it was George Harrison who carried on this tendency toward artfully crafted production. With his first solo album, All Things Must Pass, he overdubbed so many parts that the engineers had to do 8-track to 8-track reduction mixes on quite a few of the songs. 
exactly no one should be surprised that George Martin saw the writing on the wall, and that writing said more tracks. When he and his business partners opened Air Studios in December 1970, they offered 16-track recording. Thanks for listening. Producing the Beatles is written, directed, edited, and produced by me, Jason Krupa. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PT Beatles, and for more information, including show notes and references, check out our website, producingthebeatles.com. You can also find our email there if you have questions or comments. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to rate us on iTunes and let your friends know about us. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, Subscribe to us using your favorite podcast platform.